Sometimes you roll the dice, sometimes the dice roll you. Hello and welcome to the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today our topic is Too Taboo for the Tabletop. And our DM for this session will be Eric Hawley. Thank you, Dean. Yeah, this is a podcast I've been wanting to do for a while, and when I first proposed it, uh, you guys were a little freaked out because you weren't sure what it would include. And uh, basically, it's going to be more of a philosophical, cerebral discussion about uh, how we game. And specifically, what do we consider crossing the line at a gaming table? What kind of stuff, not so much political correctness issues, but awkwardness issues? What do you just not include in your games or not want to be part of in your games. You know, um, and I'm sure we've all experienced some of that stuff. And and tied into that is uh, how closely should our games sort of mirror the real world? Um, you know, the DM's guide for 5th edition has some options for playing a more hardcore, gritty style campaign. Um, you know, one of the options we see a lot of people uh, do is a, a long rest is only once a week and a short rest is overnight. And that makes... Uh, things a lot a lot tougher on players wow no kidding yeah no wow so i guess uh, i missed that one <laughs> yeah yeah it's actually a popular option because uh the rest lo- mechanic can be exploited a lot by people yeah. can't use a lot of magic in that campaign though no you? no and some classes are definitely better than others uh when you're taking away their their perks from the rest uh, fighters tend to lose some ground in that but that's a whole different topic we'll talk about that in another podcast for now i think our format's going to be uh I'm going to lob some grenades, and we're all going to jump out of the way, and then maybe we'll gather back and uh, discuss. <laughs> so uh, the first one, have you guys ever played an evil player character? I have. Tell I, us, I have tell not. Tell us about that one. You have not, Greg? I don't think I have. I've played some morally sketchy ones, but not anybody who was flat-out evil. Well, that evil character was one that I referenced in our third episode. My favorite character, Eric Hills Amalar. I thought that I wanted to have a character that would run afoul of the regular rules of society, and so I played an evil character. And I found that it was very difficult to play an evil character. And I still think that playing an evil character is probably more difficult than any other character. Yeah, and that sort of throws us back to first edition days with the assassin. You know, your job mm-hmm. is to assassinate people. That's your, your class right. name. Um, um, my evil character, I... Uh, I tried to play him with a streak of evil and a whole lot of chaos, but I found that I ran um, into so many tro- uh, so many problems as a player trying to at least have fun with the rest of the party or at least getting to the end of the adventure because I'd be like, wow, that's a really opportune thing for me to do as an evil character, but if I did that, then the rest of the party is borked. Yeah. And... I think he kind of switched to, like, chaotic neutral at some point, or maybe just true neutral. Yeah, and Greg, why haven't you played an evil character? Well, you know, part of it is, as we brought up the, the our popular phrase, social contract, and role-playing games are a group activity. And for the game to work successfully... The characters on some have level have to behave together and operate together, and I'm just—I've always been one of those players who, you know, I'm not running the game, I'm not putting forward the effort to be in charge of things, and I—I I hate the idea of making it 
incredibly difficult for the game master and the other players to play a game. Did um, so I, I was going to say we had a uh, we actually did have a champions campaign one time that we tried to start up, and there were five characters in this campaign, and four of the five characters were loners. And yeah, that's basically trying to run a campaign with four superheroes that don't want anything to do with the other characters. We would all show up at the same time, fight the bad guy, then everybody would go their separate ways. And mine was the only nice character in the bunch, and I would just be standing there saying, guys, hey, can I call you? And they would like, yeah, nope, sorry. <laughs> I'm sleeping back into my basement. College <laughs> parties, didn't it, Greg? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, am I wrong in, again, I didn't play fourth edition, but didn't they disallow evil characters in fourth edition? I, you know, I wasn't a big fourth edition guy either, but I know in Adventures League, the only evil you're allowed to play is lawful evil because mm-hmm. that does put some restrictions on you. Um, and let me just give my perspective. You know, as, a, as a teenager, we did play some evil characters. But uh, as a DM, I do not run evil characters. And an ex- a good reason for that, there was a sketch on Saturday Night Live, and I, we're going to run a clip for you in a second, but uh, Dwayne Johnson, also The Rock, he... Um, attended a, uh, the sketch was based on a evil scientist convention. It was a competition to have the most evil invention. So let's listen to that clip and then we'll come back and that sort of exemplifies why I don't run evil. Hi, Hi guys. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, um, my name is Roy and uh, I, um, and for the most evil invention in the world contest, I invented a, uh, a child molesting robot. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll speak up. Uh, it's a robot that is designed to molest children. And uh, I call it uh, Robo Chomo. Uh, you see, it's powered by solar rechargeable fuel cells and it costs pennies to manufacture. Uh, and it can theoretically uh, molest twice as many children as a human molester in, quite frankly, half the time. Um, so, uh, do I win the contest? I I win? Seems like I win. Oh yeah. my god! What's wrong? What's wrong? My most evil idea was a blizzard in July. Right. Well, I went in a slightly different direction with the assignment. You built a mechanical sex predator! Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's exactly, exactly right. This, this guy gets it. You get it. Oh my god! No, I don't! Okay, so there you go. Yeah, that clip is yeah. a little uncomfortable. I hadn't seen it a until uh, until this, and that was uncomfortable. Uh, that was pretty. That was funny though. Yeah, and, and that proves my point. When when players say I want to play an evil character, they don't want to play that guy. I mean, I think tr- what they want to play is the evil bad guy, like from a James Bond movie or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you're not running around wantonly raping and killing. You know, like, oh, there's a villager. Let's let's kill the entire family. Like, that's evil. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's who adventures, who are heroes, combat. Right. You know, I do not allow my players to play evil characters. The the wackiest they can get is chaotic neutral. That's it. I don't allow them to do. Yeah, any which is of already the, bad enough. Yeah, we're, I don't we're allow have a whole podcast on alignments and. Yeah. And the, I don't even allow them to do lawful evil. No evil. You can pick. You know, the other six. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's it for me. Uh, because I find that it does exactly what you were saying. If they met that person in the adventure, that'd be the one that they want to defeat. 
Exactly. But instead, they're in their midst trying to do the nasty stuff, and that doesn't make sense. I think it breaks the game for the players. As Greg was saying, it's just not... It's getting in the way of the fun of the and, other and people. And as a DM, I don't want to sit and run a... T- Let's say everybody decides they want to be evil. I don't want to run a game. That just makes me uncomfortable. Well, and then what, are, then what are the players' goals? What do they become then? Is their goal to... You know, rape and pillage as much as humanly possible, and your job is to just put stuff for them, put goals for them to achieve that involve destroying everything in their wake. I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying here, but well, it does there's there's no adventures in general have some kind of goal, you either a moral or monetary one. Usually, they're tied together some way. The evil characters, it would be kind of almost like an inverse of that. Yeah, it would be a monetary goal, but any sort of moral goal would be out the window, and then it just you know degenerates into murder hobo land. It would be an interesting juxtaposition for the DM to create a campaign for evil characters because essentially you've basically got to create this. I wouldn't say bright, shiny world that they have to destroy, but you've got to create basically uh, a a decent law-abiding thing where there's some reason or another for the evil characters to want to either destroy it, take it over, do whatever. There's an old adage that says, it's really easy to be an evil person. It takes creativity, or I'm sorry, it's really easy to be a good person. It takes creativity to be an evil person. Yeah. And and here's my point on that, too. My latest campaign that I started, which meets every other week and we're playing tonight, um, I started that kingdom, uh, that campaign in the great, the former Great Kingdom, which is disintegrated now. But that's an evil portion of the world of Greyhawk. And uh, the place they started was Rel Astra. And in my world, I base it off uh, old Roman patriarchies. So there's ruling families, and there tend to be lawful evil. Well, if player characters want to topple a government, they can topple that government. It's an evil government, right? They, they do things that are not nice. So there you go. You can topple a government while being good. On the flip side, I don't want them running into Ferendi and toppling government, although they have come close to doing that. Hell yeah. <laughs> but so from that perspective, you can still be the hero and do a lot of that stuff and not make everybody uncomfortable. All right. Well, we're talking about characters who are evil, and their gameplay, but what about those things that happen in the game when a character does something that maybe isn't, you know, they're not an evil character, but something happens that just ain't right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, murder hobos. Yeah. Right. You know, Greg brought, brought up that phrase. There's a lot of deity, and that's sort of walking the line, right? I mean... I think Dungeons & Dragons and any game set in a long time ago fantasy setting is has a moral flexibility about it because for lack of a nice way to put it life was cheaper back then you know and um people it's easy to just go around and stick a sword in anybody that gets in your way and a lot of times um there aren't the consequences for those actions that there probably should be or in a real world setting would be. But, you know, our characters, you know, we've slaughtered quite a large (laughs) group of people and a few of them probably didn't deserve it. Well, I mean, in the campaign that I'm running right now, they're based in a city and in that city is a very vibrant and lucrative slave trade. Yep. That's another. I include slavery in my 
and there's a very large number of prostitution and brothel activity. I include that as well. Uh, It is the oldest profession. And there's also drug activity, and there's a crime syndicate. It's kind of like the real world. Yeah. But is that what we want our game to be? Yeah, I I think D&D is essentially escapist fantasy, right? So we've all sort of play to get away from things. How real do we want our games to be? Some people like it to be very real. I mean, people who play... What do you mean by real? Like, you know, how how similar to the real world. So there's some some games, Conan, for example, mm-hmm. tends to be very gritty and very brutal. Um, every, you know, there's a lot of different Conan-based games out there, but those game systems tend to, to be a little more bloody. And people who are attracted to that game like that. D&D, mm-hmm. some people play a very high fantasy D&D where everything's more removed you know the the elves are all the happy woodland beings that are you know distant from from mortal affairs kind of thing a little more hardcore tolkien now that yeah. you say that i guess in my preference i prefer things to be a little bit more i'm going to have to say a little bit more on the real world i don't like and i've been involved in these games where everything was kind of you know idyllic and you know kind of really high fantasy type of stuff and i found it kind of boring yeah i found it rather boring now there wasn't you start your gaming because is this a progression is this as a result of gaming for a long time you drift that way i don't think i follow your question are you asking like when I, you started playing D D? yeah did you start with the tolkien version of D D? I think ideally I wanted it to be that way because I was the original DM, and that was my biggest inspiration along with the Conan books. So I kind of, I guess maybe it was uh, a smelting pot of both, but I think that the the whole Tolkien, Lord of the Rings aspect maybe outshone the Conan part. Um, So I think when I originally started it, it was kind of that idyllic thing, but then my players, I think changed that for me because they're like oh it's a whatever it is let's kill it <laughs> and, yeah and as greg said slaughtering some things that probably didn't really deserve it yeah here, here's an interesting thought i just had we, they came out with volos volos has monster races you can play a goblin right as a player character mm-hmm. um and a critical role they have a character now who's a goblin big big streamable uh streaming that people watch up till now Pretty much every D and D player I know has come across a goblin and killed them. Yep, <laughs> that's what they're for. Yeah. If you look too closely, How you sharpen your sword <laughs> at, at the moral details of D and D. It's really disturbing. So we don't look too closely. We just sort of gloss over that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I do think about that from time to time. Maybe not so much in uh, in our twice a month, but in our monthly campaign where where I have a you know a uh, neutral good character there. She. Uh, we kill a lot of people, and especially more so here lately. I'm like, do we really need to be killing all these people? You know, should we be wading through this crypt and just hacking everybody we run into there? Well, because we have to, we have to achieve this goal, and anybody that stands in our way is our enemy, and we must kill them. All right, and well, that's a very, very prevalent attitude in Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, you are given a goal, and anything that is in your way to that goal is subject to summary execution. D&D Beyond, as we said in an earlier podcast, D&D Beyond has been giving us these kind of uh, uh, 
insights into the world of D&D. And I remember watching one about, you know, our, you know, goblins are now a character. You know, they've got children, they've got families, they might even have businesses and that type of stuff in a goblin setting. But to the players, they're cannon fodder, right? Yeah. Okay. Do they deserve How you to get be... from level one to level two? Exactly. Kill a dozen um, So I think we're being fed this whole idea of, you know, orcs and goblins and hobgoblins and and the monsters air quotes i'm doing right here in the studio are the things that you know uh yeah there are adversaries and they're the ones you basically have to confront and either kill or defeat in some way shape or form to get your experience points because in the a in the end it is a game um greg you hit it on the the head nail right on the head it's a game it's how we got to play the game if you don't you might as well yeah. just yeah. go read a book. Well, and the morality of the setting too. I think it's it's it was fed to us by you know let's, let's blame Professor Tolkien and his contemporaries and the people since then. In those literary worlds, those creatures are generalized to not be of any sort of moral value. I mean, if you want to look to the movies, I mean, you know, find well, me find me a nice orc, find me an orc who who. Uh, on screen earned the right to not, you know, have his head lopped off. And well, there isn't one. In Tolkien's defense, the orcs were, they were never really had a society. They were kind of created. That's true. They, are, con- they are constructs. They are, they are constructs. And so that kind of takes them out of that hole. You know, they have but a right But in my home game, when I put dragon, uh, uh, Dragonborn, right, yeah. Yeah. Dragonborn into Greyhawk, uh, I had a similar thing. They were actually manufactured to fight the wars uh, between the Sea of Dust and the Dry Steppes, those empires. So the the Dragonborn were basically a construct for a purpose, and they have since become a society or something? Yeah, they basically were manufactured as warriors to to fight those wars. You basically have a medieval setting of of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's a common common trope. But here's my other thing, and a lot of the listeners are probably like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Why are you even worrying about this? But to me, this is an interesting point. So here's here's just another way to demonstrate this. So both of you, as D&D players, your characters stumble upon a thousand-year-old tomb of a great king. What are you doing? You're breaking in a tomb, We're breaking in. Yeah, breaking in. Okay, so clearly a thousand years... No big deal, yeah. right? You can break into that tomb. You can take his, his super-duper magic sword, right? Yeah, Nobody's grave needed. robbing is okay. the basis of Dungeons & Dragons. So what about the day after the funeral? Can you break into the tomb? Good point. Depends <laughs> on how sneaky so we are. clearly <laughs> it's a slippery slope, right? At some point it becomes okay, and at some point it's not. Can I tell a story about uh, a real experience I had playing the game, and it was at Winter War, and it was kind of the talk of the town for about two or three years with living Greyhawk, okay? Um, A local person wrote up an adventure for a big group play. You know, there was numerous tables. They were all playing the same adventure, just different characters, right? And in the end, uh, it was, uh, they were basically fighting the, um, I can't, don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, the Dwergar? Dwergar. Dwergar. Um, The dwarves were just hot for blood, right? And they had to take them out no mercy nothing well we're going through it and we're doing what we were paid to do and all this kind of stuff and it's a fight and people are getting injured and some characters are getting killed 
at the end, you're confronted with Dwergar children. Yeah. And what do you do? Because the contract said no survivors. No survivors. It didn't say no adult survivors, no female survivors, no male. It said no Dwergar survivors. Well, and if you've killed all the adults, how are the children going to survive anyway unless you help them? Well, we had a number of tables. And as the game started to end and we got to this point, you could see and I could hear it and see it. The tables started to disrupt. The gameplay kind of stopped. Yeah. And there was a lot of moral discussion amongst the players of what they were going to do. And I had a player at my table who she basically said, my character does nothing. She did nothing. The rest of the party, and I would have to say that I was... I forget what character I was, but I do. I, I was party to the uh, uh, murder, if you want to call it that, but I didn't have a big hand in it, but I'm still guilty by association. So was she, for that matter. But the rest of them just waded in and slaughtered them. But there were some parties that didn't do anything. Okay, doesn't really matter, but what it resulted in was basically a firestorm of people pissed off at each other in real life yeah. for what they're, they decided to do in the game. That's exactly what we're talking about. That is yeah. too taboo for Some tabletop. people literally yes. quit and said, I'm not playing in this group anymore. Yeah. And that what they meant was the Living Greyhawk group. Yeah, it's not fun anymore. When, yeah. you, when you cross that line, it's not fun. Well, and that's also when the, that's what my character would do, comes sailing in. Yeah. But but there's some examples, you know, here's – and the line differs for everybody. So uh, back when I was in college, uh, Gary Gygax made the Dangerous Journeys uh, game system, which was actually uh, bought by GDW and then shelved because there was a lawsuit around everything. Um, but I was part of the playtest group for that. And in that system, our GM decided that our characters were going to come into the real world come into our world hmm. and it was an, I had never played a campaign that did that before so it was an interesting twist and I had a spellcaster and as part of that uh, system you could have uh, you could store magical energy in gems and the more valuable the gem the more magical energy you could store in it which was incredibly useful for a spellcaster well I decided during that campaign well hell, I need to find some really good gems. Well, the crown jewels of England have some really good gems, and I know where they are. <laughs> so we went and stole the crown jewels of England. Your character knew where it was? Well, yeah, because it was sort of a hybrid between me and the character. Okay. It was a weird system. Basically, our characters inhabited our bodies. But now here I am with, like, I mean, any magical ability in our world would be pretty uber, but here I am a full-blown magic-using character. They could do, think about, you know, if you could cast any spell in the player's handbook up to level yeah. five, it would be pretty easy to rip off the crown jewels of England. Right. It's an interesting, interesting yeah. take. But yeah. it's a little awkward. It's yeah. a little uncomfortable. Given the premise of the campaign, here I'm just going to wantonly break the law. But part of it was fun because it's escapist it, fantasy. It, well, it's encouraging you to do that. So. Yeah. Now, um, I have another, this did not happen to me, but this re was related to me by a very good friend. 
um, who attended Gen Con, and he was taking part in a, uh, a role-playing game. I don't know if it was D&D or what it was. I have no idea what system it was. But he went, and the GM, before anything happened, had placed around the table some cards of yellow or red or pink. I don't know what they were. And he said, if at any point during this game I or a player says or does something that bothers you, please point to the piece of paper so that I know that you have, and he used this word, you have been triggered. My friend's reaction was, I'm done here. I came to play a game not to be lectured on what I can or cannot do yeah. in this game. And he left. The, now, <laughs> now, is that taking the real world too far into your game? Or, or is that just being too politically correct or too whatever? I don't know. I mean, that's it's like making sure that nobody is bothered by what may happen at a table. As we've already said, there's some inherent weirdness with playing D&D. And that's fair. But if that, you look too close at it, and that's that is probably looking too close at it. Right, because at that point anybody could say I don't like what you just yeah, said. We should not have killed that goblin. How do we know that goblin yeah. was a bad goblin and not a good goblin? Right. Yeah. I think that allows too much discretion on the part of the players to control the game or you know the game play, I think. Maybe. But by the same token, if a DM does cross the line. So, you know, not to get incredibly controversial, I don't include rape in my game. That's the line. You know, I'll have slavery, I'll have brothels, but, you know, in my my little idyllic fantasy hardcore campaign, the brothels, all the prostitutes in the brothels are there voluntarily, <laughs> right? That's their profession. There's no, no, there's no or anything. sex slave trade going on. That's That, to me, is just a little too... And, you know, things like forced sex, rape, whatever, you know, if there is a player, God, I would never want to bring that up. You know, if somebody has experienced that, that doesn't belong at the game table. Yeah, that's a fast track to making everybody uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. But I will have to confess that I created a, a one-off game, and it was called The Blood of Innocence. And it was, I don't know what it was about me at the time, um, but it was dark. And I just, it, it just... The writing for it and the development just flowed right out. It involved uh, cannibalism, it involved rape, it involved slavery, and it involved killing of innocents, in children, infants, stuff like that, by a, uh, a marauding group of orcs and whatnot that were controlled by an, a, a greater But you thing. knew your game group when you did that. Yes, right? I did know my game yeah. group. And when they started seeing and hearing and finding out and discovering what was happening as a group they got more and more pissed off and it affected their gameplay and man they played like a well sharpened knife like a scalpel to eliminate this evilness yeah it really honed focused them in on making sure that whatever was doing this was never going to do it again. And it was I, I was really happy with the way the gameplay was, but I have to say I was a little bothered by myself by what I was writing, but I brought it to the table. 
maybe ratcheting up the morally reprehensible, ratcheted up their morally pure. It's kind of what it sounds yeah, and, like. And I don't want to sound like I'm the moral high ground because one of my favorite things to do while DMing is to force a moral choice where there's no good answer. So, you know, either the innocent child dies or the whole village dies. Those are your two options. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I love to put players in that situation and see what the outcome is. Um, and do, I do, do that. Do you allow them a unspecified third option, like a backdoor? If they can come up with something, I mean, that's where my view of d d it's a co-construction of reality. Yes. So I set up the scenario with only two options. If they're clever enough that they can come up with a third option, I have no problem with that. But usually... Now, not everybody will do that. No. And some some people are, as we've called them, murder hobos, and they, you know, hey, if it gets me to the next level or the next tier, let's go for it. Here's a example from my my heyday. I've mentioned the character Bow in the Black and how I lost two levels in first edition as a, well, second edition, as a multi-class fighter magic user. And and the story behind that is is one that I've told a couple times, never here, but essentially we were running a campaign and there was a group of uh, slaves that we freed and we were trying to get them from one kingdom to the other in this campaign there were two worlds two kingdoms that were at war we fought we were with the good guys and the other kingdom was the bad guys well on our way back with like a hundred of these bedraggled slaves um, we ran into a patrol from the evil kingdom and they questioned us and we said oh we're pilgrims we're on a pilgrimage and they were like okay well they rode off, and I got suspicious of them, so I followed them. Bowen had acquired the ability to turn invisible and fly. <laughs> so I turned invisible and flew, and I flew up to where they were, and they had stopped over the hill. And one of the guards said to the other one, wasn't that a pretty large group of slaves for this time of year, or uh, pilgrims for this time of year? And the other guy said, yeah. And he said, wasn't there a jailbreak recently from Sinor Hesron, which was a town we had broken him out of? And they said, yeah, well, that was enough for Bowen, who was chaotic good at this point, in theory. Um, I flew up to about 50 feet, pulled out the wand of fireballs, shot a fireball into him, <laughs> right? Now, we're at war with this kingdom. To, and, I, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. Well, they're all still standing. I killed the horse. Well, I didn't even kill the horses, I don't think. Anyway, wand of fireballs has more than one charge. Fire the other one. Drops all but two of them. So... One of them starts running. Well, I'm not going to let these guys go and report. To, now, this is really bad. Don't get, don't, you know, I'm not going to let these guys go back and raise the alarm because we still have like days of travel on foot with 100 slaves or 100 prisoners. So I fly in front of the guy. I'm visible now because I cast a fireball spell twice. And I say, and I don't know why I thought of this stupid line, but I did. I said, draw your sword and die like a man. <laughs> of course, because you've been up there and, killing them like, you and know, the a DM, Julia, who, you know, uh, this is probably her most challenging moment as a DM, I will admit, um, says he turns around and runs the other way. So Bowen flies up behind him, cuts him down. Not going to let this guy get away. I fly over to the other guy, and she says he's just standing there, and he has his hand around an amulet, and he's glaring at you. So I'm thinking, hey, it worked so well the first time. Draw your sword, die like a man. She says, he just glares at you with an icy grin. Me thinking, he didn't hear me. Say, draw your sword and die like a man. <laughs> sort of out of options here. She said, he looks at you and says, if you kill me, my father will make sure you're dead within 30 days. And I sort of, sort of makes me think. 
Hmm. So, well, who's your father? She said, he just stares at you. And this is probably where I cross the line, I will admit. I say, well, tell your father his son was killed by Bo in the Black, and I roll the d20. Oh, <laughs> That's nice. when I drop two levels for turning evil. <laughs> I would say that that was a fair call. So... But did you ever it, find out? I mean, did the father ever come? No, yeah. come on. I, it was, I was a Bow in the black. Yeah, who's gonna kill me? But even now, pissed off dad. What were my <laughs> options? I mean, I'm not gonna. I guess we could have taken him prisoner. Yep, and that, that dragged the, the guard with us. Yeah, could have subdued him. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't know if there was subdual in uh, second edition. I don't think there was. Yeah, there was. Maybe I don't know. It's yeah. been a long time. So. You know, that's one of those moral Game Master should let where, you do that. Okay, we're at yeah, war with these people. Not. It's not my fault if he's a warrior and he doesn't want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a guard. He wasn't an innocent townsperson. He was going to turn us in. So, yes, in retrospect, I probably crossed the line. But that's the kind of stuff like, okay, th- yeah, the the current Eric would not do something like that. At 20, I guess my morals were more flexible. Uh, Greg, did you ever do anything reprehensible <laughs> reprehensible in game in, in game. game oh okay that's no, that narrows, <laughs> that narrows it down yeah, yeah he was trying to yeah. pick which one yeah yeah, yeah we only a, have a, a limited amount of time yeah, i don't have all that kind of time you know and i in general play pretty uh pretty nice characters i've uh i've probably offed a few people who i shouldn't have um uh, i know in your game you know when the arrows start flying i i took that ship out that airship i had no idea who was on it they were just following us and i i killed a lot of people yeah that admittedly crashed. it was unbelievably lucky that i did but uh yeah actually i, I gave that some pause after that happened i i, I just kind of sat quietly for a while and uh, uh we there was a ship following us um it was a flying ship it had a gem in the bottom of it um i made a really 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 good roll and shot the gem right out from the underneath of that ship, and what did it fall? A couple hundred feet, two, yeah, three, four hundred feet. Yeah, far up there. And yeah, the crew all dead. Uh, mostly, uh, a couple of them made dived off, didn't they, or did they all die? I think they all died. Yeah. Yeah, and I had no idea who was on the ship, why they were following us. Um, you know, we sort of um, shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, yeah, and that I, I think I, you I, suffered I did, I did more from from my uh, moral quandaries because there was one adventure the one where your character died and she decided she was going to cover the retreat of the rest of the party yeah and she lasted one round yeah <laughs> because i, I made some a, bad choices yes, and, there was a lot of giants with a lot of boulders yeah and uh i was not as fast as i thought i was and i wasn't rolling that good to be fair too so. i don't think it would matter no probably not <laughs> but uh also, a little more disturbed that it took everybody a little while to start worrying about but, that I was gone. But, you know, that example, a different DM about it, might yeah. be, I'm going to reward that player for making that self-sacrifice. Right. You know? And, uh, you know, the other trick is, you know, uh, old DMing trope, trick, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Get a character to volunteer to sacrifice themselves and then give them a reward. 
You know, mm. one of you must stay and serve me for life. And then when they decide that, oh, well, I'm going to give you a wish because you you were so selfless. Me, I kill him. Yeah, <laughs> I was dead for what two or three months at least. Yeah, played I, another character for a while. I uh, think we're kind of straying into the whole alignment uh, aspect, and we don't want to because that's a topic that we're going to talk about. But essentially, as a player in D and D, when we do these things that were considered essentially, you know wanton murder you know the more we talk about this the less and less you know the game sounds appealing to people who might want to you know play it um do we just think of our characters constantly at war with the rest of the world because in war in real life you know you don't think of the enemy as a human being you think of them as a because you almost you have to not think of them that way or else you couldn't do what you're doing and there have been numerous studies and things like that that you know it is not a natural thing for another human to want to kill another human and here's where i think i sort of have reconciled this in my mind a lot of people still say alignment stupid why should we have alignment i can do anything i want in the dnd world i should not be restricted okay if you're comparing it to the real world that is somewhat true yes you mm-hmm. do have free will but the problem is in a fantasy world it's not the real world true good and true evil actually exist right the gods walk the earth mm-hmm. okay with that as your starting premise alignment Make put some limits yes. on what a character can do. Given that true good and true evil actually exist, I can now say your character is lawful good, right? It's not the real world where we can pick what we want to do. And, and there's a whole other discussion you can have about whether we can actually do that or not. But I think alignment is useful in that it limits what a character is going to do in the game. Just like if you want to put on a production of Hamlet, you can set it in the Bronx, as long as it still involves some dude and his dead father and a lot of guilt. But you can't put on a production of Hamlet and set it in the Bronx and totally abandon the story. It's not Hamlet anymore, right? Right. So alignment is similar. We have this concept of good and evil, and if we accept that, we have to accept that we have to artificially limit a player's actions based on how their character would act in theory. I would have to agree with that. Yeah, yeah. that I that's part of that whole the character creation process, and they need to quantify behavior, and that alignment is how we do that. Yeah, in my games, I. I'm not a real stickler for alignment, but when they pick an alignment, and to be honest with you, I don't know if my players have put that much thought into what alignment is. Probably not. And I think that maybe their alignment is what they are in the real world, in a sense. I think most of my players are good in some way, shape, or form in terms of their alignment, whether or not they put that on their character sheet or not. But I don't really worry too much about it unless something stands out something drastically stands out that they do something that i'm like really is that really what you would do but there's almost like there's levels of role playing to players where the first level is you're just playing yourself in a fantasy world Mm -hmm. right that's that's where we all were when we were 13 right 
The second level is I'm sort of playing myself in a fantasy world, but I'm going to change some things about me, right? And you can you can continue this level, but the highest level is almost like an actor. Right. I'm taking a character that's totally removed from whatever piece of me is there. You've been given a script, and you're going to play it And I'm going to gonna play hill. that character, and, and Greg is very good at that. Greg's characters are not reflections of him, although they're all good, so maybe they are a little bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> Again, I see that as, uh, as a function of gameplay. Yeah, yeah, can't, I agree. I think can't have a chaotic character and not create chaos. We're at the playing table. heroes, so I would agree yeah. that it sort of. But I think that's what differentiates start, beginning role players from the, the seasoned best role players. seasoned role players. And a seasoned role player probably does not want to play evil. I would say that's true. I, I would say the majority of people who've been playing the game, well, what do you call a seasoned player? Uh, time around a table or years? I think it's just that ability to play a character that is totally removed from themselves. Yeah. That, to me, is the pinnacle of an RPG player. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've played with people who've only been playing a very short amount of time, but they are that consummate... They can get into a role. They're an actor, you know. Yeah. Maybe it's just part of their personality, and they get it, and they can do it within the parameters of the game. And uh, sometimes that ticks me off because it took me a long time to get there. And then sometimes, I have to admit it, if the game's not entertaining, I'm just sitting back just rolling the dice. Yeah. So yeah. The interesting part is when you start playing and you're playing a character that's similar to you, you have to quantify your own behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want yeah. to do that well, sometimes. No. I, uh, <laughs> friend of my son's graduated from high school and uh as a graduation gift um i gave him a xanathar's guide to everything because he's going away to college he his girlfriend's buying him a player's handbook hmm. very much into D. so i always like to you know encourage kids who, who are really into the game as much as i i used to be and still am um well i decided to be clever to wrap it in character sheets but instead <laughs> of having a character i was going to put his name on the character sheet and I sort of stressed about what numbers I put in the attributes, right? Because I had to assign <laughs> him strength, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, oh, charisma. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> you know, there's a, an engine that does that. It, like, you know, picks and chooses what you but do. I was afraid wow, I, I'm that could get really sketchy. <laughs> present this as a gift. I don't want to insult the kid. Yeah. You know, wait, I only have a 12 strength. <laughs> And a six int? What? Yeah. My yeah. charisma is a four? I gave him an 18 charisma because I figure his girlfriend's very sweet and she deserves a 20. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, and I gave him high intelligence because he's a smart kid. Uh, the rest I sort of, you know. Yeah. And I figured if I, if I needed to, I'd say, well, I use point by, so I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You needed a dump stat and we've seen you roll dice, so your dex is six. Yeah. yeah. So, so even things like that, you know, can be a little uncomfortable uh, for you. Yeah. Have you um, ever been at a table where something really bad that bothered you had happened that yeah. you didn't Here, create? This is sort of tangential to the topic, but I was in a game once, and the DM and a player sort of started to get the hots for each other, which is fine. D&D is a social activity. If you're single and you're, you know— Playing, play, doing something social together, it's natural that would occur. That's going to happen. It, it started to bleed into the game where the DM would have like NPCs that were interested in a player's character, and there was a little bit of like flirting going on in game, and it got really awkward. Like, 
almost, you know, in an analog situation where you have those two friends that you know are interested in one another, but neither one of them will take, and you're like, just ask somebody out and get this over with. Um, and that went on for a while. They ended up getting together and, and shacking up for a while, which made things better because at that point, then it got out of the game. But um, that's another thing that can be awkward at the table, not directly related to characters, yeah, right. but like, in my opinion, taboo. Like, I don't want to see you guys make googly eyes at each other during the game. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah, awkward. I've, I've seen that else. several times, and I've, I've seen it happen, especially when it's between a player and the game master. That's when it gets a little awkward. And, you know, I think sometimes uh, around a game table, uh, you get familiar with the people that you're gaming with. And it can happen in any setting. Um and you just kind of forget that you're still in a social setting. Yeah. That you're not, you know, by yourself or you're not, you know, <laughs> on the other side of a computer screen, which I call the iron cage of electronics. Um, you say things that you probably really wouldn't normally say. And you just kind of forget. You're just having a good time. And, and these things get dropped. And that just kind of really throws the game uh, an awkward curve. Yeah. But... And I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm a prude because I tend to run political campaigns. Uh, I enjoy political intrigue. And part of that is is marriages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my campaigns, there's been a couple situations that have had sort of a quasi-sexual tension. Now, let's, let's be clear. I play with a bunch of dudes in their 40s and 50s. Okay? Yeah, for the most part. So at one point, we had a character get married. We sort of glossed over much of that. Because it's a little uncomfortable, me playing a female NPC, you know, sort of acting out the courtship of a, you know, I, I don't know. PCs, it's, just, yeah. it's a lower. We had another one where the paladin was seduced by a succubus, right? Again, we sort of fast forward through the juicy bits because none of us were yeah, comfortable Yeah, that, that did that. happen kind of quickly. You know, um, so, you know, we include that. He but, was a dragonborn, wasn't he? Yeah, No. Oh, he was a tiefling. Well, he was tiefling, a tiefling, yeah. He was a tiefling. Regard, I mean, that's a good point. I, however, play with a variety of players who are both um, my age and far younger. Yeah. Still in their early 20s. And some of them happen to be related to me. Yeah. So um, I'm not uncomfortable bringing up my son uh, played in that one that I was talking about, the one... Uh, I called the blood of innocence. He was one of those players who really honed in and you know got into it. And I think it, uh, um, as he's become a, a more frequent player, he's developed that role playing, that that second and third level yeah. ability to game. But I don't do a lot of that stuff because I've switched over now, and so it's much easier to you know avoid that stuff. Where I do more one off type stuff. It does. It is in a campaign setting. It's in a a world that stays the same and, and all that good stuff. But there's not these big, long, overarching stories that one connects to the other. It may be two adventures that connect to one another. And then the next one's a whole other chapter, a whole other book, a whole other story. And so unless I'm writing something that way, we really don't get into that whole, you know, marriage and, and you know, courtship, that type of stuff. We just kind of... Yeah, we differ on that. I yeah. love that part of running a D&D game. Yeah. So yeah. I, I and, and I would say it happens more in uh, almost in uh, contemporary games too. Uh, relationships on a long term campaign are almost inevitable. Yeah, I actually played a 
Call of Cthulhu game at Winter War two years ago, and it was all men at the table, but two they were pre-generated characters, and two of the characters were a married couple. Oh my god, that was the best. They played those two so well. It was hilarious when they would interact. Oh god, I wish you had seen me at GaryCon at that Call of Cthulhu thing. Me and this other guy, we just dropped in to these vacuous married couple so easily. Uh, I think we kind of ran roughshod over all the rest of the players because we had such a groove going because we were playing such stereotypes. It was easy to do that. And it was, and honestly, it never really got super weirdly awkward. The characters were married or the 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 characters were married. Okay. No, yeah, yeah. Me and this dude that I had met, just met, our characters were married. We were playing pre-gens. We just sat down at the table. They, they handed out sheets. Um, there were there was a married couple playing, but they were not playing a couple. And me and this other guy on the other side of the table, we were. And uh, and actually, it was I, I had a really good time because hmm. we were we were we were the mean girls so, and guys. <laughs> it, was, think, it was great. I think this is a good place to sort of try to wrap up what are I mean my conclusions. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think a lot of this depends on who you're gaming with. It really what does. Your it the whole. Every game depends on who you're. Yeah. So with. if I'm running at a convention, I'm running a G game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yes. And that's mm-hmm. why they had that problem at your convention with Slaughter and the Dwergard children. You can't do that at a convention. At your home game, you know the players, you know what they're comfortable with. You can push the limits. Yes. Uh, but when you're out there, you know, with random pickup games, either online or at a convention or however. I, I think there are some topics that are too taboo for tabletop. You just don't want to include them because you don't know how players are going to react to them. You need to know your players. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I do include them in, but, you know, there are some that are far more odious than, you know, the sex slaves and, and the slave trade and stuff like that that will never enter into my yeah. game. They just will never do that. But I suppose there are some people out there who have. And if you've experienced that, dear listeners, um, comment and let us know what type of horrific things have happened at your game table. Because you can comment right on the uh, SoundCloud or on our Facebook page and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, before we, we wrap up for the day, we do want to put in a DMs Guild Yes, uh, our item. regular spotlight. Now, these aren't really reviews, because if we were actually reviewing, we'd do like current stuff. I just like to mention stuff that I've used in my home game, because I don't want to talk about stuff I haven't haven't actually played. Or stuff that we think is cool. Or stuff that we think is cool. So um, a while ago, my son, when you have kids that are interested in gaming, it's hard to say no. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he says, my friends and I want to do an old school dungeon crawl, right? And oh. I'm like, oh man, I haven't, you know, I... I don't really have anything prepared, so I hopped on DMs. Tomb of Horrors. And, well, they, they've done, they did that, but uh, they want to just, like, bust down doors, kill monsters, take right. their treasure. Yes. You know, talk about moral choices yes, in d Yes, exactly. Ooh, it's um, alive. Let's kill it. Yeah. Um, well, I went to DMs Guild, and they actually had an old uh, Judges Guild product, which was a company based nearby us in Decatur, Illinois, back in the 80s, um, called the Glory Hole Dwarven Mine. And I'm, oh, I'm thinking that that phrase didn't mean the same thing <laughs> no, in 1981 I, as, it, as it does now. Or maybe it did. We just didn't know that. <laughs> That's probably closer <laughs> to the truth. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but this pro- it's about, I, I think it was like 26 pages or so, or no, sorry, 48 pages. Um a lot of maps. And I did, like everything I take, I modified it. 
but really a great product when you're just looking for raw monsters. Um, it also sort of a little bit of a throwback feel because they included some minor plot twists. There were some groups of adventurers that you could run into that had different goals. And it made me think back to the early edition days where like you would just sort of throw NPCs at the party and sometimes they would stick around and sometimes they wouldn't. And these are those kind of NPCs. Now it was made for old school D&D, so you have to convert it if you're looking to run it in fifth edition. But truthfully, converting from... Uh, First and second edition of fifth edition is probably the easiest conversion in my book. Um, a lot of times, I just keep the keep the same numbers and and you know assign a, a good armor class and and give them some hit points and just have them hit for the same numbers because damages are roughly equivalent. Um, but Judges Guild also came out with some other things. Teagle Manor was, I think, a big product, and that's actually been republished by Goodman's Games. Um, so that's available. Um, on DM's Guild, I forget what I paid for. It's three ninety nine now. Um, it's on sale for three nineteen because of that sale we just talked about. But for four bucks, I mean, you can go back to it. There's like four or five different levels, um, a lot of detail um, for the rooms, things like that. So um, I had fun with the product. It's still in my library. I can pull it out as needed. Yeah, and I suppose I shouldn't say this, but since we're on the two taboo, I you know, Eric's kids, mom. Dad took us to the glory hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. We had a great time. Uh, hopefully they don't know what that is. I, I didn't even really know what it was until recently. I was like, wait a minute. What does that mean? Um, so <laughs> That's um, when you rename once you get your hands on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So I think we've, we've covered the two taboo topic. We've, I really do think that we could go on for a much longer time, but at some point we'd be nitpicking. But yeah. uh, it's a good topic. And I would like to, I don't know about you two, but I'd like to hear what other stories are out there. Yeah, that, that'd be good. Now, we are, you know, I'm, I'm, we're taking turns DMing these podcasts, and we've got some interesting ones coming up. Some of them are more lighthearted. Uh, our next one's going to be on uh, movies that have inspired us. Uh, Greg's going to run that one, so that's one to look forward to. Um, and then coming up after that, we're going to have uh, another one I'm going to run on the art of DMing. So another sort of more cerebral one about what our philosophies are, the things we do that we think are effective, not effective. And then again, uh, some Gen Con content, pre-Gen Con, post-Gen Con, uh, big big date in our calendar. Yeah, that post-Gen Con one, we may be a little on the jet-lagged side. Yeah, yeah, I usually come back from Gen Con needing a vacation. Yeah, I'm almost thinking about taking that Monday off. <laughs> I think I might have already put in for it, actually. <laughs> Maybe you're a little bit more forward-thinking than I so, all right. That's well, my busy time. I can't do that. Well, it's time for Greg to step up to the microphone. Yep. Uh, anybody who wants to give us your uh, two Taboo for Tabletop topics, you can uh, post it on our Facebook page where we are The Grognards. Uh, if you want to shoot us a tweet, it's at tgrognards. And our Instagram is the underscore grognards. Or if you don't like social media and you want to just hit us with an email, we are gamers at thegrognards.com. All right. Well, that is a wrap for the grognards this week. We will be back in another couple of weeks. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to us. Until next time, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. I'm Greg Ziegler. <laughs>